You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. He's in the building! Brink the moment. Brink it. I said, empty your mind. Coquettish and coy. Ow. Ow. What? There's people that are dying. The wickedly talented. More than great. It was historic. Crack is world. Oh, good for you. I have to apologize. One of the hottest. Welcome back to The Reheat, a podcast that re-examines the hottest celebrity news and scandals of yesteryear and asks, how would we react to the same events if they'd transpired today? I'm your co-host, Sarah Sahagian. And I'm Sadaf Hassan, your other co-host. And this week, we are going to take a look at one of the more complicated pop culture figures of our time, Ellen DeGeneres. She's a legend for countless reasons. Not all of them are necessarily great. But let's start with the good. She's a groundbreaking queer icon who broke major barriers when she came out over two decades ago. She's one of the longest-running talk shows of all time. She won the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor, and 33 Emmy Awards. That's a lot. But here's the sticky part. In just the last couple years, she's come under fire for being an allegedly not-so-nice person after spending years building a brand on kindness, literally. Mm. The revelations led to a dip in ratings and her show coming to a close this very week after 19 seasons. It's also led to a lot of us wondering who exactly is Ellen DeGeneres? Sir, before we really get into it, what are your initial thoughts? Okay, so I haven't really watched Ellen since university when, you know, in university you have a lot of time to watch daytime TV, yeah. which I did. I miss it. I also watched Maury. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew her that way, but I watched Ellen when I was, you know, a kid. I liked that sitcom. Uh, I discovered it before she came out. So when it was kind of fledgling oh. and, and wasn't really as topical, I do think she's really funny. I also like her stand-up. I think that she, her observational stuff is is very charming um, and is also sometimes pretty canny. Um, and it's, uh, her stand-up is nice because you can watch it as the whole family. Like, I also really like edgy stand-ups who, you know, tell blue jokes. But what I yeah. appreciate about her is that, you know, there there should be space for some comics where you can watch, like, with your children and your grandma. And I thought yeah. that was cool. Um, but yes, it seems in recent years that she was a fraud the whole time. She was a mean person. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird to piece together because for the longest time, what I get from her is a really warm sweet energy, which mm -hmm. apparently is not true. And you're right. There is definitely a place for a comedian like that who has, let's say, family comedy, family humor, mm -hmm. was never my type. So I never really kind of gelled with her there. I just found her to be a really nice, comforting presence during the day. Yeah. <laughs> it's an insidious thing when you find out that presence is actually not what it seems. Um, mm -hmm. So let's get into it a little bit more. Before Ellen was the TV titan we've come to know her as, she was climbing the ranks in the comedy world, and she was really good. But what she often does not talk about is the incredibly tragic event that made her want to turn to laughter. It was 1978, she was 20 at the time, and was dating a poet named Kat Perkoff. It was one of her first 
gay relationships. They were living together, but had had a fight. Ellen decided to go stay with friends, but they ran into each other when they both attended Ellen's brother's concert, who was a musician and had his own band. Kat tried to make up with her, but Ellen was still peeved and pretended not to hear her. We've all been there. Later that night, when she drove home, she passed a car wreck. It turned out Kat had been involved and had lost her life. Ellen said in a 2015 interview with Oprah that it had left her with tremendous guilt and shifted her focus in life. While grieving, she moved into a new home that turned out to be infested with fleas, which served as the inspiration for a now infamous comedy monologue called Phone Call to God. At the time, she was a struggling waitress and being a comedian had actually never even occurred to her. But that monologue became her calling card. And after performing it on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show in 1986, she quickly became a name. Here's a little clip. I'm always thinking about these things because to me life is very precious. It's very special. We're here for such a short time that everything on this earth should have a reason, should have a beneficial purpose. And I feel like everything does, except for fleas. (laughs) Fleas do nothing at all beneficial. I always thought at times like this when we can't figure it out for ourselves, wouldn't it be great if we could just pick up the phone and call up God and ask him these things? Just pick up the phone and call up God Yeah, hi, God. This is Ellen. <laughs> Ellen. Degenerous. Degenerous. <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> no, I never thought of that. It does sound like that, doesn't it? Uh-huh. I get it. Yeah, listen, if you weren't too bit, sure, hold on. Somebody's at the gate. Now, by this time, she was touring nationally, performing stand-up all over the states, but as popular as she became, she'd soon give it all up for television. Now, Sarah, given that she's built an entire brand around being upbeat and optimistic, are we surprised to find out that her career was actually inspired by tragedy? You know what? I'm not just because a lot of comedians have some pretty traumatic things in their past. And I think that that seems to be a pretty normal reaction. Yeah. I mean, not that we all have the the sense of humor, the comic timing to become stand-up comedians after tragedy, but it does seem to be that the, those of us who do are inspired by tragedy to make fun of our lives, make light of situations, and and to make other people laugh. So I, I'm not shocked by this in any way. It's a really sad origin story. Like, I I yeah. mean, I had heard this years ago and I, I forgot it. And the impact when you just told me that story again, I, I almost had a panic attack just I thinking know. about it. That's just, that's my worst nightmare, being in a fight with someone. And while you're in that fight, that surely would have been over in a week, they died. Like, that's, oh God, that is... I don't think I could have gotten out of bed again yeah. if I were Ellen. It's brutal. I'm with you. I And she describes it in a far more painful way, of course. Um, it's interesting, too, I think for me, that a lot of comedians who are really, really successful, they've been working at it for years and years and years and probably most of the time, like, that's something they aspired to since they were a kid. You hear all the same stories. I watched SNL when I was five and, like, it's what I aspired to. And she just didn't have that. She never had that. And that's fine, by the way. But I think it's all the more impressive, actually, that she took this moment and found something creative from it. And as we know, a lot of people find, as you said, you find humor in tragedy. And so many comedians have a really deep darkness inside them. I don't know that that's necessarily something she has now, but I can see the root. 
Now, when it came to her acting career, Ellen started small with bit roles and the odds that come here and there, which eventually led to her getting cast in 1994 in an ABC show called These Friends of Mine, co-created by David S. Rosenthal, whose other most famous work is Gilmore Girls, which is amazing, and I refuse to hear otherwise. (laughs) I know you agree with me, Sarah. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Because the show centered around Ellen's character, named Ellen Morgan, a 30-something neurotic bookstore owner, and because NBC's Friends had just exploded on TV, the show's name is quickly changed to simply Ellen in its first season, further cementing her as a need-to-know face and establishing her particular style of wise-cracking comedy. The show ran for five seasons, wrapping in 1998, but it would reach iconic status in 1997 when Ellen publicly came out as gay because, side note, she was already out to her family and friends. While her mother had taken a little bit better to the news and eventually became her strongest supporter, her father, who was quite religious, took it not so well. Even though he'd already guessed her secret after she officially told him, he and her stepmother asked her to move out of their house so that she wouldn't influence her two young stepsisters, which is something Ellen has said hurt, though she's also said she understood it. But this journey did end for her there. As her star rose, rumors around Ellen's sexuality had been swirling in Hollywood, and she wanted to settle them. This, of course, was considered a major risk by many, but still is for a lot of people, not so shockingly. After all, Ellen was a certified television star with a successful television series. Nevertheless, that April, she sat down with who else but Oprah on her talk show and told the world her truth. Mm-hmm. And then when I decided that it was time for me to, to say, I'm fine with who I am, I feel good about me, I'm not ashamed of who I am, I thought, really, who cares still about me? If I can do something creatively, if I can actually show people that it is okay in another way, and I have this wonderful way to do it, mm-hmm. why not do it that way? Later that same day, her character also came out in the now infamous puppy episode, as it was titled, to her therapist, played by, naturally, Oprah herself. Here's the scene. This is this is so hard, but I, 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 I think I've realized that I am... I can't even say the word. Why can't I say the word? I mean, why can't I just say... I mean, what is wrong? That why, why do I have to be so ashamed? I mean, why can't I just say the truth? I mean, be who I am. I'm 35 years old. I'm so afraid to tell people. I mean, I just... Susan, I'm gay. A very deserved long applause. And by the way, the laughter is there because at that moment, Ellen accidentally hits the button on the intercom at an airport and everybody finds out the news. Um, So it was, needless to say, incredibly controversial. ABC even slapped a parental advisory at the top of each episode moving forward in response to the Fuhrer. Two weeks before the episode aired, Ellen's impossible-to-forget cover profile with Time magazine would be published with the very Ellen headline, Yup, I'm gay. Although the episode itself counted a whopping 44 million viewers, which is incredibly wild numbers then and now, it was three times the series' average ratings, the show began seeing a dip in its following season. It was soon canceled due to the unfortunate backlash, which included criticism that the show began to be, quote, too gay, focusing too much on, quote, gay issues. Even some members of the LGBTQ community took issue, saying she wasn't taking the matter seriously enough. The studio would receive hate mail, as would Ellen and Oprah, and years later, actress Laura Dern, who played her love interest on the show, revealed she 
she'd been snubbed for years and couldn't get work after the episode for some time, though she never regretted it. Still, the backlash took a toll on Ellen, and frankly, who wouldn't take a toll on? Um, she discussed it in a 2015 interview again with Oprah. Here's a clip. Uh, Oprah's show, I did the cover of Time magazine, and I did a Diane Sawyer interview. That's all I did. That's all I planned on doing. But because it became such a huge cultural thing and 45 million people watched it and then and then people all around the world talked and then an article was written and then another article was written and then an article was written on that article and then everybody got so sick of it, it got to the point where even Elton John, who I'd never met in my life, Elton John said, we know you're gay, shut up and be funny. And I was like, you can imagine how much that hurt me because I was like, I don't, e I don't even know. I hadn't even said anything. I'd done three interviews. It's funny because I all along that was my biggest fear is that it was going to get canceled. And I didn't I was not told that it was canceled. I was told through an assistant who read it in the trades. So would we say that this was one of the first examples of cancel culture? Yeah, I do. I think this is one of those things. And it was happening around the same time as Monica Lewinsky, right? Where yeah. you had women who weren't really courting publicity in any meaningful way, mm. but because their sex lives were seen as controversial by some people. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that way, but they were both canceled because I guess talking about them made people uncomfortable. Yeah. And we were kind of obsessed with them at the same time, right? Like it was our obsession, but then we projected onto them this idea that they wouldn't go away when, as Ellen points out there, she barely talked about this issue. She yeah. she did hardly any press, which is similar to Monica Lewinsky, but people just love to cancel women, especially women who are not living the heteronormative ideal. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking. And just hearing her talk about it after all these years, there's still a little pain, bit of pain there. And honestly, why wouldn't there be? Mm -hmm. But it's so upsetting to me because here's somebody who did something that was so groundbreaking, so yeah. paramount. We're still experiencing the very positive effects of it today. It must have been so terrifying for her too, I have to imagine. Mm -hmm. um, and then she's just torn apart for it and also by her own community. Yeah. So I can only imagine how that must have felt. And, you know, we have our thoughts on cancel culture and what that is and how it actually works. But I think this is a good example of when it just doesn't go the way that you want it to. And this was also pre-social media. Social media is now what actually, quote unquote, cancels people, if you mm -hmm. want to believe that. This happened just by hate mail and phone calls to the network and people just not watching anymore. So yeah. straight ratings. So, you know, if you want to feel the brunt of somebody's rejection and hate, that's the way to do it. It's really yeah. savage and disgusting. Elton John, I'm really disappointed in you. Like, my little girl has a book about how awesome Elton John is. It does not mention that he shamed Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> like, Elton, you need a time out for that. I mean, really, though, I'm shocked from Elton, of all people. It's I know. So upsetting. But I think that's what's interesting, too. She must have had so much pressure because here is, I can imagine that a lot of her community, she kind of ends up re representing them in a way by not even choosing to do that, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. she did become the face yeah. of that for so long just because she was one of the first to come out so publicly. Yeah. yeah. Not fair. 
which Shonda Rhimes would call a first only different, right? And I yeah. remember watching this episode. I loved The Ellen Show before she came out, right? I like I loved sitcoms. Ellen and Friends are probably my two favorite sitcoms at this time because I mean they both had great ensemble cast yeah. and they made adulthood look like fun. Like they it was a world where you got to hang out with your friends all the time um, on yeah. Ellen and your friends all hung out in a bookstore and it also was a coffee shop. I mean, how much fun did that look? It looked great. <laughs> like I I would love to be a neurotic bookstore owner. That sounds amazing. I know she was a small business owner. Like she seemed just like she was living such an empowered life. And then she came out and that was historic and the show seemed even more empowering to me. I was like, wow, this woman is just like in control and living her truth. Like, I loved it. I thought it was a great, I was like a tween at the time, but I couldn't get enough of the show. Like, she was right up there with Rachel Green as my early feminist role models. Again, amazing cast in that show. And it's worth taking a look back, by the way. Mm -hmm. Now, 1997 was a big year for Ellen because at the time, she was also dating Anne Heche, Mm -hmm. her first highly publicized relationship, which would last for three years. The two even graced the cover of The Advocate. In 2021, Anne told Page Six she felt like, quote, patient zero in cancel culture during the relationship as they were one of the early same-sex couples who were out and about hitting red carpets and getting snapped by paparazzi. Though she found it all to be a, quote, badge of honor, she also said it left her blacklisted like Laura Dern, and she didn't do a major studio film for a decade and was even fired from a $10 million movie deal. On a 2020 episode of Dancing with the Stars, while she was a contestant, unfortunately, (laughs) and also revealed that when she had expressed that she wanted to bring Ellen to the Volcano premiere at Fox, the film studio, she was told if she did, she would lose her contract with them. She ended up bringing Ellen anyway and was ushered out by security before the movie even ended and was forbidden from attending the after party with Ellen in case photos were snapped of them together. The horror. And by the way, there are photos of them on the red carpet and they're so sweet. And they must Mm -hmm. have felt amazing to young gay people who were seeing these photos and seeing themselves represented in some kind of way. But I guess this is also following the backlash that the show had received, so people were scared. But Anne spilled even more a little later in the year, this time taking a jab at Ellen herself. On TikTok, she did a look back at her most memorable red carpet looks, and when it came to a rather unfortunate blue velvet gown, she worked the 1998 Golden Globes with Ellen. She admitted it wasn't great and said, quote, Why do I look like a hippie? It's because Ellen didn't want me to dress sexy. Uh, bye. No. End quote. Now, for the record, Anne ended the relationship, which Ellen said left her confused and heartbroken. And it's worth noting, the day after they announced their split, Anne had what has since been described as an emotional breakdown and showed up on a stranger's doorstep asking for a shower and declaring herself God. She was later hospitalized. She told 2020 that it had been due to a history of abuse at the hands of her father and the breakup ultimately triggered an inevitable breakdown. Sir, what do we make of this relationship? You know, lots of relationships fail, right? So I have a hard time with these things because on one level, I really want to dissect what happened and what went wrong. And another level, you just sort of think, well, maybe they just weren't right for each other, right? I mean, maybe the level of scrutiny got to them that that adds stress. Um, it seems like we now know with Anne Heche that she, she was going through a lot behind the scenes and she has suggested Ellen was a bit controlling. And yeah. we know Ellen was going through a lot behind the scenes. They were iconic. I mean, they're a gorgeous couple, right? So yeah. I'm glad that they were there t- for representation. It's so important. It was, it's so important 
today. And it was even more necessary then when there was so much less queer representation to have queer representation and queer couples that young people could look up to. And I'm people of every age could look up to. I know Ellen tells the story, a very sweet story about how after she came out on TV, a lesbian in her 70s, I believe she was in her 70s, sent her a letter saying like, thank you so much for doing this. Um, You know, I I feel seen. And Ellen's response was, I didn't even know that there were 70-year-old lesbians, right? And that, (laughs) what that's saying is like, there was so little representation for so long. It would be easy to think like you were the first gay person ever, right? Because of that lack of representation. (sighs) So they were such an important couple. but it does seem like from everything you told me that they were incredibly wrong for each other, and it's good that they both <laughs> moved on. Just to skip ahead a little, Ellen's next most publicized relationship was her current one, which I think a lot of us know well, with actress Portia de Rossi. They've been together since 2004 and got married four years later after the gay marriage ban was overturned in California. The two are relatively private about the relationship, but if you ask Portia, Ellen is very much the sweet, kind persona she projects. While promoting her memoir on Ellen's show, in 2010, she said, quote, I've changed so much as a person since I met Ellen. I used to think that the way to be strong was to be tough. To be independent was to not need anyone. She's taught me that the more vulnerable you are and the softer you are and the more you allow people into your life and into your heart, the happier you are and the more valuable you are to other people. I almost wonder if there's just this fear. Actually, I don't wonder. I feel like I know that there's this Mm -hmm. fear to be honest about what she's like. Yeah. But then you look at Portia, who says this kind of ridiculous quote. It's so over the top. She makes Ellen sound very cult-like. And this positive, perfect, flawless person who just oozes radiance. I just, I don't know that I buy it. But she's also going on Ellen's show to promote her book. So what else is she going to say? I'm so curious about the relationship. And really, we don't know much about it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what to make of it. But... At least they're happy, I suppose. Yeah. Now, while Ellen's character coming out led to the unfortunate end of a beloved show, it would also go down in television history. Hers was the first lead gay character on a television series and arguably the first to have a happy trajectory. The puppy episode also ranked number 35 on TV Guide's 100 Greatest Episodes of All Time. And not to mention that episode itself made Ellen an Emmy and Peabody Award winner. A year after the show's cancellation, the... Amazing, hilarious, sweet, lovable Will and Grace, which featured two gay characters, would come to television and become its own hit. And today, all these years later, gay characters on sitcoms are no longer an impossible mission. Though there's certainly still work to be done in terms of characterization. We've got Ellen to thank for a lot of that. Um, And as she said herself in 2017 on her own talk show, quote, I'm Ellen and I'm gay. 20 years ago, I said that. It was a much bigger deal then. A few years after the show came to a close and after coming out of a deep depression, Ellen would try her hand at sitcoms once more with a CBS show called The Ellen Show. Very creative. Co-starring Cloris Leachman, Martin Mull, and Jim Gaffigan. Again, her lead character was a lesbian, but the show took care this time not to have storylines emphasize that at all. Still, it was canceled after 13 episodes. In 2007, in a now defunct blog called Surgical Strikes, a person claiming to be a former writer for The Ellen Show said she'd often hound writers for writing unfunny jokes and frequently eviscerated the head writer and boasted of the changes she'd make in season two, starting with his firing. Oh, wow. 
Just a reminder, though, that came from a blog seemingly from the ether, but it would be very similar to complaints that would come years later. But we will come back to that. After making a solid dent in the sitcom world, Ellen would make a hell of a pivot in 2003 when she launched a daytime talk show called, of course, The Ellen DeGeneres Show. This was at a time when celebs having talk shows was very much a thing. Think Sharon Osbourne, yikes, and with each year, she would kill it in the ratings. In the first season alone, the show was nominated for 11 Daytime Emmy Awards, winning four, including Best Talk Show. And as of 2021, it's received, wait for it, 171 Daytime Emmy Award nominations and has won 61. It's come to be known for its very happy energy with Ellen and her love of that terrible and very Caucasian jig she loves to do. The prizes, the contests, all the feel-good segments honoring special people and their special skills. You know exactly what I mean if you've watched an episode. It's as cloyingly positive as it gets. Her sign-off in each episode is literally be kind to one another. When it wraps this year, it will have run for an incredible 19 seasons. She's also hosted just about everything else. The Oscars, the Grammys, the Emmys, SNL, her own game shows. She's even been a judge rather unexplainably on American (laughs) Idol, but who hasn't? Sure. So, Sarah, what are your thoughts on the show itself? How do we, what do we make of it and in the trajectory her going from the sitcoms into the talk show world? Yeah, I think that stand-up comedians are often really great talk show hosts. So it makes sense. I mean, she had a career as a stand-up. Rosie was a great talk show host and she had been a stand-up first. So many late-night hosts were stand-up first. Uh, It makes sense. She had this sunny, optimistic persona. She was very chatty. Uh, Her show was about being friends with people, essentially. Like, for the first few seasons, it was, like, the love interests were really peripheral until she came out. Like, she dated some guys um, in the early seasons, but it really, the primary relationships were between the friends. Um, So people who project that image of being a great friend are often great talk show hosts because you just want to hang out with them. And her show was about hanging out, playing games, telling funny stories. She had such a great rapport with her studio audience, um, or at least it seemed like she did. Anytime I watched it, it it seemed like, you know, what what my grandmother would have called good, clean fun. <laughs> I <laughs> like, think that's right on, though. Very G-rated. Mm-hmm. It was G-rated, but, like, there, it was a little bit mischievous. Like, you, yeah. you know, there there were some pranks, and, it, you know, it wasn't, like, completely vanilla. Yeah. Um, although it wasn't, like, edgy by <laughs> any yeah. means. Uh, no, it was a fun show. Like, listen, it was never must-see TV for me like Oprah was, right? Like, never oh, at any point. point. No, no, no. I was never mad at the TV when Ellen was on. Like, if it was on and I was home, I was happy to watch it. But, like, if I was out, I wouldn't rush home for it. That was my relationship to it. Yeah, same here. I mean, if anything, her show was a lot like wallpaper. Like, Mm -hmm. it would be something that would just be on in the background. I'm not paying attention. Um, If I ever did make an effort to watch it, it was because there was a guest that I was really excited to see. And, my God, you're right. I hate even putting Oprah and Ellen in the same sentence. Um, (laughs) It's just two different leagues. It's just totally different. But I think Ellen is well aware of that. I mean, right? Like, that's her whole thing. She knew exactly what she was putting out there. I think it's really fascinating that she left behind in the way that she did and decided to stick with hosting. But also, let's be real, that's where the money was for her and that's where the longevity was. And she definitely made an effort when it came to sitcoms, I think. Um, And Mm -hmm. she said before that she really likes validation and 
honestly, what comedian doesn't? (laughs) That's fine. Like, that's not what I find problematic about her. Like, I like validation, too. I can relate to that. Oh, I love validation. So I can see how that might be something that would appeal to her, though, where you have, like, a big audience in front of you every day, and Mm -hmm. they literally have to laugh at your joke because there's an applause (laughs) They do. They have to. Although now I wonder, like, I can imagine there were, like, guns behind everyone's head just, like, ensuring that they have a very Mm -hmm. positive Mm -hmm. experience on that show. Now, before we dive into the dark side of Ellen's Generous, let's take a quick break and maybe grab a chair because you're going to need it. We'll be right (laughs) back. In a 2018 New York Times profile, Ellen denied rumors that she was unpleasant to work with and said, quote, that bugs me if someone is saying that because it's an outright lie. The one thing I want is for everyone to be happy and proud of where they work. And if not, don't work here. Those rumors, by the way, had been out there for many years with the odd blind item or low-key tweet revealing that Hollywood's best kept secret had long been that Ellen is a bully. And in my opinion, you could see it if you watch enough episodes. Just watch anyone she's got a female comedian as a guest. There's mm-hmm. an undeniable snippiness that pours from her that she tries to mask using humor. There was also the time she pressured Mariah Carey into sharing more about her pregnancy in 2008 mm-hmm. and offered champagne to see if she'd drink it yeah. and win a reveal. Mariah, by the way, ended up having a miscarriage and said it was a, quote, extremely uncomfortable moment. Yeah. And she said much more titillating stuff, but it's all with a wink. And lest we forget that time, Dakota Johnson called out Ellen for lying about not being invited to her birthday party. And um, how was the party? I wasn't invited. Actually, no, that's not the truth, Ellen. You were invited. Last year, no, last time I was on the show, last year, you gave me a bunch of about not inviting you, but I didn't even know you wanted to be invited. Well, who did I want to be invited to a party? Well, I didn't even know you liked me. <laughs> It's sweet, but it's a little awkward. (laughs) It's really awkward. Now, in 2019, the heat was turned up when she had diminutive comedian Kevin Hart as guest so that he could defend homophobic jokes that he'd made and had come under fire for just as he'd been announced as that year's Oscars host. She advised him, quote, don't let those people win. Host the Oscars. He didn't end up hosting, but Ellen also received backlash for excusing his behavior and taking his side over the LGBTQ community. The New York Michael Shulman wrote that, quote, she seemed to have appointed herself the gay partner. Things got messy again later that same year when she was seen watching a football game from premium seats right next to none other than George W. Bush, who, of course, was actively anti-gay marriage during his days as president and probably well beyond that. Let's be real. She addressed the incident on her show saying, quote, just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. Okay, Ellen. But the shit <laughs> truly hit the fan in July 2020 when BuzzFeed News published a massive story in which anonymous former employees accused her talk show of being a very, 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 very toxic workplace and said producers routinely engaged in harassment. Reporter Christy Lee Yandoli said Ellen sat on an office culture of, quote, racism, fear, and intimidation. To be more specific, many complained there had been little communication about hours and pay during the pandemic, all while Ellen hired non 
union techs to set up her remote office, while others said they'd been fired for taking medical leave or for taking time off to attend a funeral. The story went viral on social media, obviously, and Twitter quickly began to fly with tweets of folks revealing countless bad run-ins and work experiences with the star. For instance, writer and comedian Benjamin Simon revealed Ellen's alleged rule that anyone has to chew gum from her bowl before entering her office, and if they still exude a certain kind of smell, they have to go home and shower. And that if she was in a bad mood, staffers were pushed to do bits for her. Others said they couldn't look her in the eye because they weren't allowed to. The floodgates had finally opened. Ellen eventually apologized to her staff, saying she always intended for the show to be a place where, quote, no one would ever raise their voice and everyone would be treated with respect, and that she was disappointed to learn that that has not been the case. After investigation by the studio, three executives left. Ellen remained on, not shockingly, and a promise was made to change the culture. Here's a brief clip of Ellen apologizing off the top of season 18 in 2020, and that's, by the way, after cracking a very tasteless joke. Let's get to it. Um, As you may have heard, this summer there were allegations of a toxic work environment at our show. And then there was an investigation. I learned that things happened here that never should have happened. I take that very seriously and I want to say I am so sorry to the people who were affected. I know that I'm in a position of privilege and power and I realize that with that comes responsibility and I take responsibility for what happens at my show. This is the Ellen DeGeneres Show. I am Ellen DeGeneres. My name is there. My name is there. My name is on underwear. (laughs) We have had a lot of conversations over the last few weeks about the show, our workplace, and what we want for the future. We have made the necessary changes, and today we are starting a new chapter. So what do you think of her apology, and do we actually think she was blind to everything that happened? No, I don't think she was ignorant of what was going on. As she said, her name is everywhere. Um, She showed up for work every day. And in a lot of these stories, she was the perpetrator of the inappropriateness. So uh, did she not know that she was telling people not to make eye contact with her or, or that even if she wasn't the one telling them not to, didn't she think it was suspicious that no one around her made eye contact? <laughs> like, um, I don't believe that. I think it's an excuse. I think it's the kind of excuse you often hear from a lot of powerful white men um, who aren't in touch with their privilege either. And it, Ellen is such a fascinating example, I think, of somebody who was so marginalized for so long, experienced horrific discrimination and homophobia. And I think a lot of us like to think that when people have had that experience, when when we get the power, we'll just know how to wield it responsibly. Yeah. But this is an example of how that's not always the case, right? Knowing what it's like to suffer doesn't necessarily mean you will help other people avoid suffering when you have that power. And yeah. it's, it is, you know, I think it's a cautionary tale for all of us, right? Like, we should always need to call ourselves out and be self-aware when we get a little bit more power. Because I feel like absolute power can corrupt almost anyone in Hollywood. And a lot of times when you hear about people like Ellen getting promoted, um, they're great bosses because they've learned from that kind of marginalization. But, you know, there are exceptions and and she was one of them. There's a lot of bad bosses out there. There's a lot of mediocre bosses out there. Yeah. <laughs> about a lot of them. And she's a really good example of it. You're so right. Um, I think what's interesting, too, about her is she is so goddamn out of touch. Like, yeah. I think she reached a whole other tax bracket and she started spending time with 
only boldface names. And, you know, the way she expects any guest to just invite her to a birthday party. I thought that's normal happening in Ellen's life. She's just not with the people anymore. (laughs) No, well, like her peer, honestly, her peer now is a rich white man, George W. Bush, who was was the president, right? Like, I feel like they're (laughs) friends because she's like, I can still be friends with him because we have things in common. I'm like, yeah, I guess because you're both richer than God and you're so powerful, right? Like, in your (laughs) mind, that trumps your feelings about gay marriage. I mean, in some, uh, one mitigating factor is apparently he's, I, I would never be friends with him, but apparently he's incredibly charming. Michelle Obama also friggin' loves him. But Michelle would never say anything bad about anybody. Let's be real. I mean, yeah, fair enough. But they, she has basically she said has. they're they're friends. So like, yeah. I don't know. He seems like he's really good at winning over people who would normally vote for the Democrats. But would Ellen vote for the Democrats in this day and age? Like, would she vote for them or would she vote for the people who are going to give her lower taxes? I don't know. We need to look this up because you're so right. Um, Yeah, she's just not one of us anymore. No. I think what's interesting is she is somebody who built her entire persona on being one of us, right? Like, that's part of the whole shtick that she had with her sitcoms. And you even said, like, you felt it, right? When you watched it back then, like, she could be a friend of yours. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about people when they're starting out and they're not so high wattage. Mm -hmm. But... This woman has hit like a whole other stratosphere. So I ultimately, I do think she knew what was going on. I think she's a huge part of it. I think where there's smoke, there's fire, which we say all the time. But this woman is absolutely a part of the shit show. And probably a nightmare to work with. Probably a tyrant to work with. And again, we can say that because there are hundreds of people who are saying that too. They might not want to say their name, but that says even more to me if you don't want to be direct about it. Mm -hmm. Now, in 2018, as her talk show continued, Ellen dipped her toes back into her stand-up comedy days with a Netflix special called, ironically, Relatable. In it, she talks about a friend telling her he's unsure she can kill it at stand-up now that she's so unrelatable. And she flicks at, here and there, her uber-positive persona and a brand. She says at one point, quote, I'm a good person. I know I am, but I'm a human being and I have bad days. At another point, she jokes about her be-kind catchphrase and says, quote, it's a wonderful thing. It is. But here's the downside. I can never do anything unkind ever now. Ever. I'm the be-kind girl. And the thing is, she's sort of kind of right. When you've built a multi-million dollar legacy and positivity, you kind of have to walk the walk. And so it was pretty damn confusing to a lot of the world when the story came out that, well, Ellen isn't actually as kind as she preaches we all should be. In that Times profile in 2018, she'd even said that on her talk show, she plays a character and there's a quote, tiny, tiny difference compared to who she really is. Here she is explaining this after apologizing in her season 18 premiere. There were also articles in the press and on social media that said that I am not who I appear to be on TV because I became known as the Be Kind Lady. And um, here's how that happened. I started saying be kind to one another after a young man named Tyler Clemente took his own life after being bullied for being gay. I thought the world needed more kindness, and it was a reminder that we all needed that. And I think we need it more than ever right now. Being known as the be kind lady is a tricky position to be in. So let me give you some advice out there. If anybody's thinking of changing their title or giving yourself a nickname, do not go with the be kind lady. (laughs) Don't do it. The truth is, I am that person that you see on TV. I am also a lot of other things. I, sometimes I get sad, I get mad, I, I get anxious, I get frustrated, I get impatient, and I am working on all of that. 
I am a work in progress. And I'm especially working on the impatience thing because, and it's not going well, because it's not happening fast enough. I will tell you that. It's so interesting how she can't stop joking. <laughs> All of her jokes are so toned up. Yeah. Now, halfway through the season in 2021, Ellen would lose a staggering 1 million viewers, which is about half the show's audience. And that's even though that episode would be one of her highest rated in a sad repeat of history. Just a couple months later, Ellen would announce that she was quitting and ending the show. Why? In a pretty shameful follow-up interview with the Today Show's Savannah Guthrie, she said because she's bored which is a blatant lie, right? I mean, yeah. Here's a clip where Ellen continues to appear beyond confused at the accusations. I still don't understand it. Um, Yeah, I thought thought something was going on that, that because it was too orchestrated, it was too coordinated. And, you know, people get picked on, but for four months straight for me, and then for, you know, for me to read in the press about a toxic work environment when, when all I've ever heard from every guest that comes on the show is ha- what a happy atmosphere this is and how what a happy place it is. Now, in that interview, Ellen goes on to pin the whole thing on being a victim of misogyny, mm. naturally. Sarah, is there an element of misogyny here? Because I also think about what kind of talk show hosts we have today, like Kelly Clarkson and Drew Barrymore, who are very popular. And by the way, I love them both a lot. They're also very smiley, happy, positive women. Mm -hmm. So is there a certain kind of way we want our women hosts to be? Yeah, okay. If we're going to do some intersectional analysis here, like the fact that she's a woman, yes. I do think women bosses are treated more harshly and men can get away with a lot more, right? They can be jerks and people just feel like, oh, they're doing it for their art, right? But the fact that men can do that is a bad thing, right? Society needs to get to the point where they can't get away with that. Yeah. Um, what she's basically saying here is it's sexist that I'm not allowed to get away with being toxic. And that's, yeah. I mean, it's sexist in the sense that men can get away with it, but that doesn't mean it's morally right to be toxic, right? Um, and it there are just so many of these stories that what is her conspiracy theory? That the media was paying each and every person to say that she wouldn't let them go to a funeral or make eye contact with her? Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's that's suspicious. And Occam's Razor says that it at least was a bad environment. Is she probably right that the media delights in taking down women? Like, yeah, yeah we saw what happened to Martha Stewart, who like, you know, arguably didn't even necessarily commit insider trading. And the media was so gleeful about her trial. But, you know, when enough of your employees say there's racism, there's toxicity, you owe it to them as well as to yourself, yourself and your own personal growth to take that at least a little bit seriously and not just dismiss it out of hand. Yeah, and you know, I think the thing too with this is that her issues and the reasons she was quote-unquote canceled is not for explicitly misogynistic reasons, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not somebody whose whole reason for coming down is because she was an unkind woman or whatever. It's because she's built this whole thing on Mm -hmm. being flawless and perfect and happy and is actually a tyrant, like not even just unkind a little or like said some terrible shit one time. She sounds horrible. Yeah. (laughs) Allegedly, okay? But like, you know, let's be real, let's be real. But I just, I find it so tricky that, and I find it so unfortunate that she wants to play the victim. You'd think after all this time, I mean, these rumors were coming out for a few years in the the last little while, that she might soak it in and just think about it, like you said. And it just makes me sad that she won't do that. I think that's the toughest part for me, where 
I just wish that she would listen to it a little bit and offer a decent explanation. I also think it's really interesting that the people she keeps referencing when she says everyone had a great time is the celebrity guests. Yeah. She will always say, everybody who comes on my show has a great time. They're so happy. Just ask them. Like, yeah, of course they fucking did. Like, you're Ellen and they're your guests. And this is an exchange. <laughs> like, that's how it works. It's not even true because Dakota Johnson had a bad time. Um, also true. Naomi Osaka. Mariah had a bad time. Yeah, Mariah. She was mean to Naomi Osaka and really bullied her. Oh, that's I remember true. that. That was awful. I, I remember watching an interview she did with Ali Wong where, and this is when I started to suspect because this was years ago. Um, but, she, I started to suspect that there's something wonky going on because yeah. Ali Wong was talking about like, you know, how she didn't still doesn't have Netflix, right? Um, yes, or, yeah. And how she's very frugal and she's always worried that she's going to go back to being, you know, a starving comedian and so she doesn't like to spend her money. And Ellen just tried to force the secret on her, you know, um, the law of attraction. And I have yeah. not, if you believe in that personally, that's great for you. But just like <laughs> lecturing Ali Wong about like, if you have that mentality, then you will always be poor. You will never succeed. Like kind, I, I'm paraphrasing, but I was just like, dude, this is not okay. Like, you can't just push your personal philosophy on someone during what's supposed to be a breezy interview where Ali yeah. Wong is making light of not having a Netflix subscription. <laughs> I think she's somebody who can't step out of the performance. Like, even in her apologies, her statements, the way she can't stop joking and pulling her audience in in that way and winning them over a little bit, she is so stuck in that. I think we lost her a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of those kinds of friends or couples you'll see at parties who will joke at each other's expense to make other people laugh. You know, it's like this idea that, oh, this is going to be really funny and it's going to make me yeah. love this person. They're going to love me. But then also, who cares about that person yeah. standing right next to me? She always did that. Yeah. And yeah. People can see it, you mm-hmm. know? Anyway, it's she's a tough sell. Let's put it that way. Now, if you're worried about Ellen's future, you will be delighted to know that you don't need to worry at all. In September 2020, she signed a four-series deal with HBO Max, which will include a home design show, a dating series, an animated series following a young Ellen, along with a documentary series about Albert Einstein. Okay. <laughs> Interesting compilation. I just want to share part of her statement announcing the news because it just captures her humor. Quote, I'm very excited to bring my new shows to HBO Max. I don't know who Max is, but I can't wait to work with him. So for the record, that is the comedy that everybody okay. has waiting for the Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, all of which is to say she won't be leaving our screens at all anytime soon. And it looks like hosting is where she wants to be. And her pockets will remain fully loaded. According to Forbes, she made $50 million per year while on her talk show and makes an additional $30 million a year from other avenues, including endorsements. Her entire fortune is currently valued at a whopping $370 million. That's how you get those seats next to George W. Yeah. So yeah, on the subject of accessibility, Ellen's long flown the coop. So my final question, Sarah, do we think the second supposed cancellation of Ellen could really spell her end? No, she's way too powerful at this point. Um, She... And she's so powerful that she doesn't know how powerful she is, right? She's lost complete touch with reality um, and her privilege. So I'm like, I'm not sure who's going to watch the cartoon about young Ellen or her (laughs) miniseries about Einstein or any of this content. Like, I'm not sure who's asking for this or who's clamoring to watch it. Uh, HBO, this is a weird deal. Uh, I don't understand this, but... Listen, Ellen is going to work as long as she wants to work. Someone is always going to write her a check. And 
what really shows you how privileged she is, she doesn't need a check, right? Like, if she no. never worked again, she'd still be richer than Croesus. Plus, she could just finance her own projects. So she'll always yeah. have a platform if she wants one. I wouldn't be surprised if she ended up doing that eventually. I mean, let's be real. If all of these shows tank, she could go away, quote, go away, and do a comedy special every couple of years, and she'll mm-hmm. still be in our faces all the time. She's one of those people now. The damage is done. It's too late. She's out there. Yeah. Um. One thing that I yep. think about, though, she has this line in that Times profile where she says, it was interesting to me that I was more relatable when I was closeted and dishonest than when I came out. And that's something that sticks in my head. And another thing where I just feel like she would sit down and read all of this and look at all of it and try to come back to earth a little bit. Win us back a little bit. You know, I'd be down for that. Mm -hmm. It's just about seeing, okay, why did you connect with us back then? Because you were more honest. You were a genuine. You weren't somebody who sold this fake persona. And that's something she does now, even with these shows. What do these shows say about her? Nothing. She's just sticking her name on things. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Thank you. This brings us to our final segment. Hindsight is 2022, where we choose the one moment that we might have handled differently if we were the subject of this story. I shouldn't have done that. Sir, what would that be for you? Well, I mean, it sounds like every time she went to work and was a boss, she made a mistake, or at least for a lot of it. (laughs) So I guess the obvious answer is maybe I would have... Here's the thing. I believe that she wanted to create a positive work environment. I just don't believe that she... A, knew how to do it, or B, wanted to make sacrifices in order to do that. And for her, a sacrifice apparently includes making eye contact with somebody who makes less money than she makes. So she needed to commit more to that. So that's probably what I would have done. Um, Like made some efforts into being a better boss, taken some courses, hired consultants. Like, I mean, consulting can be a scam, but like there there are HR consultants who can teach you how to have like at least a civil workplace. Yeah, she should have had a fixer from day one. I think the problem yeah. is that she doesn't care, though. It's She has to care about the people who work for her and about how she comes off. And I've never gotten the sense that she gives a damn, and that's mm-hmm. a pretty mm-hmm. tough part to come away from. Yeah. My thing is related to this. I mean, I don't know how celebrities can avoid growing out of touch when their bank accounts and stars rise. So I'm not sure that's a feasible wish when it comes to Ellen, which is unfortunate because I would, what I would love to see her do now or maybe more often is act and get back into stand-up. I mean, you said yourself, you found her funny way back when and a lot of people did. And I think that's where she excelled. I think it helped her build a genuine connection. I think she could maybe do it again. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little too generous. Um, And I will say, just on a final note, this is somebody who broke so many barriers. She's an icon for a reason. She's always going to have respect from so many people for that. It would be nice if she also turned another corner Mm -hmm. and came back to us. I don't know that that's ever going to happen, but she did make history and we are better for it. And with that, we are at the end of this episode. A massive thank you to our lovely producer, Joe Fish. And if you want to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Sadaf Sarah, where can our listeners find you? Listeners can find me at Sarah Sahagian. And if you liked this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe so other listeners can find us too. Thanks for listening.